2: My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn.
0: could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a
3: golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm going to make him an awful deal. All real, man. Love is... is well, too weak a word. for back. I, 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 love love. No, I loathe you. Why Why you not? Not I
2: loathe you. I love you
3: I did as he swore. Don't let me... If
2: there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it! Invalidate it. Remember that's what you told me! It's time, Robbie!
4: Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast.
2: And the
3: Oscar goes to... Parasite.
4: Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 189 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Negley. At time of recording, 11 and 11 a.m. on Easter Sunday. Make a wish and break open some eggs and pray to Jesus. Joining me for this week, <laughs> I have... Michael Schwartz. I'll only be doing a few of those things. I kind of figured as much. Dan Bear. Also, happy Passover. Cody Derricks.
5: I love breaking an egg and making a wish any day of the year. Josh
2: Parham. (laughs) Hello, hello. And Tom O'Brien. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. It's Tom from Big Cat (laughs) Rest. Oh, my
4: God.
2: (laughs) Oh, man.
4: Uh, It's a sausage fest today, ladies and gentlemen. You're on the next Best Picture Podcast. (laughs) Uh, All right. Jokes aside, uh, we have a good show lined up for you all today. We're talking about a couple of new developments uh, in the Hollywood uh, system. Uh, AMC, uh, Martin Scorsese. We're going to be going over the polls. We're going to also be answering some fan questions here today. Maybe we'll play a game or two. It should be fun. And uh, this way we can have everybody get back to, well, whatever it is they're doing on uh, this Sunday. So, first things first, I want to go around, actually, I want to ask everyone what they've been uh, catching up on at home, on film, television, whatever it might be. Well, let's start off with uh, the returning Cody Derricks to the podcast. Cody, what have you been catching up on?
5: I love a title. I feel so royal. Um, I think I mentioned this last time I was on. We're working our way through the uh, James Bonds in my household, and we are so close to being done with Roger Moore, thank God. Uh, We just watched (laughs) For Your Eyes Only, and I've had enough, about
4: enough. Are you, like, tapped out at a certain point? Like, Like, how many Bond films do you get through where you're just like, it's the same shit over and over. I can't take this anymore. Well, that's
5: kind of the fun is that you really get, like, stuck in the tropes it's like watching a tv sh- like binging a tv show almost like you start getting sure. excited to see miss money penny again and you know you can predict the ending usually um i won't <laughs> I say just I imagining actually... like those
4: old uh, talkies like the new adventures of james bond
1: it's, it's starring
5: exactly it's like hyper serialized <laughs> but i i really did like for your eyes only which was nice because the one before that moonraker was an absolute disaster i was <laughs> screaming <laughs> oh, so this screaming in boredom at the tv um, so that's kind of been the main focus. We also, um, my boyfriend had never seen any of the Godfather movies, so oh, wow. we watched all three of those in about two days. And, uh, you know, the first two, they're pretty good. Uh, don't know if you guys knew that. <laughs> Big <fan. laughs> I've never heard that before. Yeah. Worth revisiting. Third one, not so much, but that's okay. The third one's not like, I don't think the third one's like still like as bad
4: as people make it out to be. I think Sofia Coppola is bad, but outside of that, I still think the movie is
5: I mean, Solid? Pacino's pretty bad too. He's not, if you watch them in really close succession, you're like, oh, he yeah. actually did zero oh, dish for his character. They're yeah. not, yeah. it's not mm-hmm. even the same character. It's just Pacino, which is, you know, still yeah. engaging, but it's not Michael Corleone.
3: And when you that
5: diabetic attack in the middle of the movie yeah.
3: of, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, three.
2: There's oh a lot of God. stuff that in there like... that,
5: there's a lot of stuff in there that seems like a parody of Godfather, like killing somebody with a poison cannoli at an Italian yes. opera. <laughs> but,
2: <laughs> But at that time, um, no one really had heard of Andy Garcia. And God, where did he come from?
4: I don't know. But it's interesting, though, to watch him in that movie, because to me, it's almost like a mm, like a pale imitation of what De Niro was doing in part two almost. I mean, it's kind of James Caan almost.
5: Like they're trying to recapture that. There you go. Yeah.
4: You. Yeah. Better mm-hmm. comparison, I think. Um, but yeah, no, that's really exciting, though. Um, is your, uh, your boyfriend, does he uh, what, what does he think? Is he, uh, you know, like Peter Griffin and family guy or did he like him?
5: Oh yeah, I know he loved them. He like uh, he had the same thought about of me. Where like the first two, you're like, wow, these are engaging. You know, American parables about power and corruption. And then the third one is kind of like fan fiction, but it's still like you said, still engaging. It's just mm-hmm. kind of silly. It really actually
4: makes me appreciate so much um, when a trilogy is able to wrap up. Uh, its story in an engaging, meaningful way where it can almost be considered like the best of the three. It is so hard to do. And so many uh, trilogies out there, usually the third one is considered the worst by many. So, yeah. I mean... It's
5: just very clear they knew what they're doing from the beginning for a lot of good trilogies and this is not the case for the Godfather, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah,
4: absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the lack of uh, Robert Duvall, I think, in the third one also greatly. Yeah, it's real weird. Greatly. Yeah, the absence. Yeah. All right, uh, let's head on over now to Michael. Michael, what you got for us this week?
3: Yeah, so speaking about parables about power and corruption, I watched a goofy movie this week. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my what? God.
3: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where we are in quarantine, just nice. going through the Disney Plus catalog and finding all those, you know, hidden 90s gems. Uh, and uh, yeah, when it's a Friday night and you've caught up with all your TV and prestiged. Uh, Projects for the week. Uh, you got to watch a goofy movie followed by Sister Act two. Back in the habit. Yes. Wow. Yes, that's that's what kind of week it was. But uh, you know what? No regrets. All fun. And I, uh, I cannot wait
4: if if Michael ever decides to get into festival programming, uh, what that would look like. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, uh, who knows? We're gonna be here a long time. Yeah. True. Josh Parr. what about yourself? Well,
1: I have really been kind of slacking lately in terms of my. Movie watching, so I really wanted to make an effort in the last. Basically,
4: that that means that Josh is watching a movie every other day. People, FYI.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm trying. I'm trying to get back into the habit of you know seeking out new cinema that I haven't gotten to that is you know can open me up to new things. So uh, I first kicked off that movie watching by um, rewatching the 1990 Teenage
2: Mutant Ninja Turtles.
1: Nice. (laughs) Oh yeah, yes. Which is not good. Um. But it was sort of fun to watch it and have nostalgic memories of certain scenes in it. And uh, Baby Sam Rockwell's in it too, which I had forgotten. And
4: about. Elias uh, Co- oh my Coates? God. Is that how you say his
1: last name? Uh, I don't
4: know. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, I, Casey. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so, um, but after that, I did finally get to Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Nice. Mm. Yes. And it's incredible. I, I yep. think it is just such a wonderful character study and Sydney Flatigan is amazing in it, in the lead role. It's, it's so good. Um, if you have the opportunity to see it, I would highly, highly recommend it. It's, it's so, so good. Uh, and then after that, I saw Tiger Tail, which is a new Netflix film and, uh, I enjoyed it. It's, um, kind of this immigrant story of, uh, these, uh, characters from Vietnam uh, or not Vietnam, but, um, Ah, uh, Taiwan. Who come over to the United States, and it's pretty engaging. It it's kind of got a rough start, but uh, eventually it becomes this very interesting story about kind of generations and and the things that we pass on to each other. And I found it to be very engaging in in that regard. Uh, and then after that, I saw this movie called The Wild Goose Lake, yeah. which oh. is yeah, it's this like Chinese um, neo thriller and um it's another one that i think is a little too long it's a little too bloated but also is very stylish and it's one of those movies that when it becomes very interesting in terms of just spectacle it really pulls you in uh it could have been a little tighter but i still found it to be pretty engaging overall nice cool dan bear um i've also been slacking a little bit
6: on the movies uh recently i've I've been finding that I I can't, because we're just cooped up inside for so long, I, I don't like to sit in one place for a very long time, which makes uh, doing movies a little bit difficult. Um, so I've been doing a lot of TV where I can give myself the illusion that I only have to sit still for 30 minutes to an hour before getting up and walking around and you know getting air in my lungs and whatnot. Um, i just finished tiger king yesterday so i got that reference that tom made at the top of the show um, and that <laughs> is that story is completely insane um i love a good truth is stranger than fiction story and that definitely provided that um and <laughs> um last night and i checked on this the embargo is lifted so I can say talk about this I watched this movie uh midnight movie definitely called butt boy oh yeah Uh, and it is (laughs) uh (laughs) I I don't even know how to describe it it's oh it sounds amazing (laughs) it's, (laughs) it's, it's so weird it is so weird it's this like Neo noirish thriller about guy who joins AA and thinks that his his sponsor
4: is like sticking people up his butt. I'm sorry. What? Like whole people? What? Wait. Like Fumbelina <laughs> style? Like up his butt? I. I. It, it's not quite explained. It. <laughs>
6: It, this movie is so insane and so crazy and like, is it good? Does that really matter?
4: I don't know, <laughs> like, but that premise alone makes me curious.
2: <laughs> I, would, I would love I, to have been in the pitch meeting. That.
6: I seriously, I mean like it's one of those like, you know, like it's an indie, the uh, writer, director, star did everything and it, just like it's, it's completely insane it's one of the it's one of the most unique viewing experiences i've had in a long time yeah wow i can't recommend it really like unless you're into the very very weird like If you're into the very, very weird, this is... Do it. Do it, by all means. So
4: basically, anyone that goes to uh, the Sundance Midnight uh, programming, uh, this is up their alley, essentially. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, like... Oh, my God. (laughs) It's crazy. All right. Uh, Let's now uh, move over to
3: Tom.
2: Well, after... Finishing Succession and Tiger King, I took to my bed for the next 24 hours. (laughs) I could imagine. That must be exhausting. Oh, my God. My mind has been blown by both of them. Uh, Certainly, Succession is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. That second season is just killer. And Tiger King is what it is. And there we go. Uh, So now I'm starting uh, to binge um, an NBC series called Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Oh, it's it's a weekly musical um, with emphasis on dance. The producer of it is uh, a woman named Mandy Moore. Not that this is us actors, but uh, a choreographer and uh, one of the best choreographers working. Yeah.
5: yeah, she did La La Land, I think. Truly.
2: She, and yeah, she, 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 won, did. she won the Emmy in 2017 and 2018. But they were for dance competition yeah. shows. And this is an opportunity yeah. for her to incorporate this into uh, a a fictional show. And if you haven't seen it, the premise is this young woman who's got a supervisor job and is a little over her head at a tech company in San Francisco um, has been getting headaches. So she uh, undergoes an MRI with music coming, as sometimes they have for you uh, during MRIs. And there's an earthquake. And all of a sudden, she has the ability uh, to... See, to uh, gauge out people's emotions, watching them do a song and dance with dancers and the whole thing, um, and she understands what's going on with them. It's and it's it. Sometimes there are huge production numbers. You know, almost a hundred people are in one of them. Uh, you know, and uh, then sometimes it's very quiet because her mom and uh, her mom is home taking care of her dad, who's disabled, and the mom is played by Mary Steenburgen. And uh, the uh, dad is a Broadway veteran, uh, Peter Gallagher. And they have some very quiet, lovely songs and dances together in a very small house. And it's, de- it's really defined by these long tracking shots, as is, um, mo- many of the numbers are done in, in a single take. It's, uh, it's very, un- very unlike anything else on network TV. And uh, if you haven't seen it, it's on Sunday nights at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock. On NBC, and uh, there's nothing else quite like it out there.
4: Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. Good recommendations for both movies and television. Uh, very quickly, I'll say that I watched, uh, rewatched uh, Selma for our 2014 retrospective, which uh, kicked off uh, this week. So we're very, very excited about that. And that was a great movie to uh, revisit and also, uh, you know, just get things started uh, with what is surely going to be an exciting retrospective. I uh, caught up with a uh, streaming title. Uh, called The Other Lamb, which uh, Dan Baer uh, reviewed on the website. Mm -hmm. Um, Gorgeously shot. I wasn't entirely gripped by the story because I didn't feel like it provided necessarily uh, anything new. Uh, But I thought the performances and the cinematography especially were pretty outstanding. God, the cinematography is... And honestly, the location scouting for that
6: movie Mm -hmm. was incredible.
4: Yeah, I, I have to say, for a straight-to-VOD movie, the cinematography is, like, just mm-hmm. as good as any of the Oscar contenders nominated last year, so. Oh, yeah. Uh, revisited uh, – well, actually, no, this wasn't a revisit. This was the first time I saw this outbreak, uh, which we did a podcast <laughs> review on that, no. and you can definitely hear more about that there. Um, I saw Blow the Man Down on Amazon, which mm. I thought was intriguing – but I felt like it was lacking a little bit. Um, I don't know if it was because yeah. of the 90-minute runtime. Uh, but one thing is for sure, um, that movie needed more Margo Martindale because every time she was on yeah. screen, she just crushed it. Amazing in it. She was yeah. so good, yeah. And it's also great to see uh, June Squibb uh, again as well, yeah. uh, doing some good work as well. So. Um, all around, uh, not bad, not too shabby. And then, uh, yesterday I decided, I don't know why I decided to do this. My own roommate was like, why are you doing this to yourself? I decided to rewatch Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf*, oh which as yeah. everybody on this podcast knows, some of the all-time great acting, one of the best directorial debuts of all time from Mike Nichols, um, impeccable writing. I mean, I think I was just in the mood for just some high quality cinema and- also, too, I, I didn't realize this until Dan Baer was the one who pointed it out to me while watching it. Maybe it was a subconscious thing, but, you know, the movie is a little isolating because it is based on a play and there's only four actors in a whole movie. So it's very constricted. So it was perfect quarantine viewing yeah. <laughs> in a way, <laughs> the which kind of leads me into um Uh, the topic of this week's uh, poll actually. Um, For this week uh, we're asking everyone uh, favourite claustrophobic movies.
3: Hi guys I'm
0: Dean. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the Movie Journey podcast. Where we break down every movie from the IMDb top 250 list giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. We're also home
3: of the Pod V Pod where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts.
0: We also do reviews of new releases, film tournaments top 5 lists and talk about everything else we've watched as well.
3: We used to be the IMDb IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, we've grown and matured with
0: age. Yeah, if you don't believe us, why don't you listen to some more genuine testimonies?
3: Oh, hey guys,
4: I, uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, I've found something even better. It's the Movie Journey Podcast!
0: Oi bro, I know I said the IMDB Journey podcast was a good show, but the Movie Journey podcast is so much better. Absolutely for sure, yeah.
3: You know, I used to think that nothing could be funnier
0: than IMDB Journey, but I've now found my joy in Movie Journey
3: podcast.
0: The IMDB Journey podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing testimonies once again. Absolutely legit and real. Of course. And if you still don't believe those testimonies, go ahead and check out the show for yourself by searching for the Movie Journey Podcast. You can find us on all your favourite platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and Podbean.
4: So come along and join our journey. So I have a bit of a broad definition with this. Okay, so... Um, feel free to look at this however you want, but of the movies I put on the list here, I included some pretty acclaimed titles for the most part, but also, uh, movies that really, really fit the description. So here's just an example of some of the movies that are on here that you could choose from. We have Alien, uh, we've got 12 Angry Men, uh, Room, Misery, Das Boot, Lock, uh, Gravity, United 93, 127 Hours. Lebanon, panic room, phone booth, repulsion. So anything that feels like it's very constricted and gives you a feeling of claustrophobia, essentially, uh, can be either uh, put in as a write-in or uh, can be chosen from the poll here. So um, I wanted to just go around really quick and uh, ask everyone, uh, Josh... Because I have a feeling I know what your answer is already off the top of my head. Um, What is a movie that makes you feel claustrophobic when you watch it and you would deem a favorite?
1: Um, So looking at this list, it's very hard for me to pick anything that isn't alien. Um, That is like my one of my top five films of all time. I just think it's so, so incredible. So it kind of blows all the other competition out the water for me.
4: Yeah, yeah. No, I I I kind of figured as much. Uh Tom, what about you? What what movie uh makes you feel uh pretty claustrophobic?
2: Well, Alien certainly is the one that made me feel get me out of here uh more than any other one and it's a great film. I think the the film that I would love to see every week uh though is uh 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh, mm. so just for that John Goodman performance. Extraordinary yeah. and it really feels like quarantine. Yeah. Yeah, it does until the third act. And that is true. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
4: But we don't like to
2: talk about the third act
4: that much. (laughs) But like that scene, especially with the barrel and Josh Gallagher Jr. um, I'll never forget being in the movie theater and it's scaring the ever living crap out of me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I would see that all the time. So I think that's probably my favorite, favorite, although I think I admire Alien more.
3: Sure. Michael. Gravity is one of my favorite movies ever. And for good reason, because it really puts me in that space of where Sandra Bullock is and all those no pun intended. and trapped in space. And yeah, it's a perfect movie. Awesome. Good choice.
4: Dan bear. I'm personally offended that no one has
6: said 12 angry men yet. Oh, that was, that was mine, Dan. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's one of my favorite all time movies.
6: It, seriously. It's one of the best movies of all time. One of the best screenplays ever written, of course, based on a play. So, um, and just like ah, God, the cinematography in that movie, the sweat on the actors, Sydney Lumet's direction, it, it it's perfect. And Henry Fonda, Henry fucking Fonda, mm.
4: also one of the all time great directorial debuts as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
5: that leaves Cody. Uh, absolutely, easily one of the scariest movies, that movies I've ever seen is The Descent. Oh so yeah.
2: Get me it's a, so a, a,
5: a, claustrophobic get me. that it's terrifying even before the monsters show up. And then yeah. when they do a show up, it's just unrelenting. It's one mm. of the more like hopeless horror movies I've ever seen, but it's still really watchable. Highly recommended.
1: Oh, yeah. love that movie so much. And you're right, Cody. Like That movie is so scary even before any th- monsters show up that just them trying to survive is frightening enough. <laughs> exactly.
4: And for last week's poll, uh, we asked everyone, which movie are they most looking forward to seeing when the theaters reopen? So uh, there were a lot of choices here. Um, It was pretty close for a little while. And then one film just pulled ahead greatly with achieving 25% of the overall vote here. But we do have a top 10. And I am going to read off to you all uh, the top 10 movies that the MVP film community are most looking forward to when theaters reopen. So let's take a look. Okay, so at number 10, we have Pixar's Soul. No surprise.
1: Yeah.
4: Pete Doctor. I mean, he's got, like, a pretty immaculate track record. Yeah. So, definitely looking forward to that. Uh, Number nine, a movie that should have came out already, uh, that we should have seen, is Disney's Mulan, which... For the production quality alone, I think I'm very much looking forward to seeing that. Some of the uh, production design, the costumes uh, look absolutely incredible. Number eight, Edgar Wright's newest film, Last Night in Soho, which could this be the film that brings Edgar Wright some Academy Award love? Do we think or will it be another entertaining genre exercise from the filmmaker? I cannot wait. We have to wait and see. I mean, that could still get a festival play, I think.
5: Oh, yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, more horror-tinged. I mean, that's just early words, so I think Academy Love is unlikely, but it means I'm excited for it. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Speaking of uh, horror, another film here on the list at number seven, we have A Quiet Place Part Two, uh, which I was told a week before uh, I was supposed to see it, and uh, it got canceled, obviously, because of the coronavirus. Yeah. I was told that this movie I, I was well, granted, I was told by somebody at Paramount. So I can't I gotta you? take it with <laughs> a grain of salt. But I was told that it was better than the first film and that it was incredible. So we'll see. Uh number six. Oh, I can't wait to watch this. Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty-four. Oh god, um, yeah. Go. Imagine covers be damned. I'm still looking forward to this. <laughs> <laughs> uh number five is Black Widow, which I know will excite Lauren. Uh, She's very, very mm-hmm. uh, excited to watch that. Uh, number four. I got to say, I don't know about you guys, but with its new release date, I think this could be an Oscar player. It is No Time to Die, the last film with Daniel Craig as James Bond.
1: I mean, we'll, we'll see. Look, nobody would be happier than me about that, but with James Bond and the Oscars, it's always a wait and see game. I think it could have a Skyfall run. I really do maybe I mean, I'm yeah. certainly pulling for it it, it was it is definitely the number one movie I'm looking forward to seeing. I was supposed to see it this weekend, so <laughs> yep, sadly.
5: I mean every other bond movie is good, so the kind of <laughs> yeah the pattern, there you the go. Pattern indicates yeah. that we should be getting a good one now. pretty much, yeah number three.
4: Wes Anderson coming back to live action with the French Dispatch. Yes. Uh, which I know from the trailer, we all said production design, costume, cinematography are pretty much locks already. So right. with its new uh, release date uh, being a, in a more awards-friendly uh, position, I have a feeling that, uh, you know, even if the movie's just good, I, I think that this will definitely be an awards player.
2: And it's got an awards-worthy uh, cast.
4: Yeah, well... Everybody in Hollywood wants to work with Wes Anderson. (laughs) Uh, And then the top two films, uh, you can pretty much guess what they are. Uh, At number two, though, we have Denny Villeneuve's adaptation of Mm -hmm. *Dune*. And number one. The big screen IMAX epic extravaganza of 2020, if it gets released, which I'm sure it will. The question is when Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a very close second for me. I I do look at that July release date, though, and get very nervous. But whenever
4: it comes out, I do really, really want to see it. I definitely think that they truly, 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 I, I think they are gunning for the sole purpose of this being the movie event when theaters reopen.
2: Yeah, it it could be the kind of movie that will draw people back to the theater.
4: I think that's why the date hasn't moved. I think they are specifically looking at it as um, if anyone can bring people back to the cinema again, it's Christopher Nolan. Sort of, You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I definitely think that's behind the decision making there uh, for sure. So, head on over to the polls. Uh, Let us know, uh, you know, favorite claustrophobic movie. And thank you so much, everyone, for voting, as always. And speaking of movies that are supposed to be coming out at a certain point, 2021, looking ahead to next year, uh, a film that was supposed to actually start production, uh, but, of course, has been halted due to the coronavirus, is Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. Now, last year, The Irishman. $150 $150 million price tag picked up by Netflix because nobody else was willing to put up that uh, kind of a budget to make the movie for its visual effects and such. Three and a half hour runtime, epic. Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, you know, it, like, we, we get it, okay? We, we we get it. It was a big deal. Killers of the Flower Moon supposedly needs a $200 million budget according to Martin Scorsese. What? What?
2: what i mean what there's nothing about the story that would require
4: that so that's what i was going to ask is anyone here familiar with the source material enough to maybe provide any kind of enlightenment on the situation because that just seems so astronomically unnecessary to me
6: i know nothing about the story but isn't this a thing with scorsese like all of his movies have insanely high budgets for what they are. Like, wasn't Wolf of wall street also like a crazy price tag.
3: Yeah. That was uh, yeah. way
2: over a hundred. Yeah. I, I mean, correct. Yeah. As I, as I recall it's about a, a, um, a series of murders in Oklahoma in the early stage 19- murders. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it involves, uh, oil, Rigs and profits and stuff that uh, it, but it just doesn't seem like that would be a two hundred million dollar cost. So here's here's the
4: thing I think with Scorsese. A lot of times the guy's got a lot of camera setups because of his uh, really mm-hmm. frantic editing that is done by uh Schumacher, and I I love his style of filmmaking. Don't get me wrong. You know I mean, and I look at stuff like the uh, the Irishman where. It's, it's a movie that has, once again, it, so many scenes that only last for less than a minute of screen time sometimes, you know what I mean? And I can only imagine that depending on the uh, length of the script, you know, and how he probably has it maybe storyboarded already and the shot list broken down and such, maybe they're just looking at it on paper and thinking to themselves, right, we're going to need this many days to shoot this and so on and so forth. And like all these setups, like I said, maybe are ballooning it up, but still like... Unless well, let there's digital uh, CGI work uh,
3: at the level of the Irishman involved here. I-, I don't know what it could be, but it's a big epic. It's about a FBI investigation. And you have this big cast with De Niro and uh, DiCaprio. But just setting it up in this 1920s Western setting, you're going to have lots of extras, I would imagine. You know, it's a really dark story about these uh, Osage people who were brutally murdered. And, you know, it's I just imagine like big vistas and sets and just so many things happening. Not that that can't be done on a cheaper budget, but with Scorsese, you always get you know the top shelf quality with all you know the best people around. So I think it's just the quality of work going into this and making a movie that's already expensive to begin with, but then just getting all the top talent assembled maybe elevates it a bit.
4: Well, here's the cost of doing business. Uh, Paramount Pictures is meant to actually be putting up the money and distributing the film, but... Because of now uh, the reports of the higher budget, Scorsese has to result to, uh, resort to Netflix or Apple TV to produce and distribute. With Paramount Pictures uh, still involved, otherwise Paramount will have to split it with another distributor, um, another uh, studio. And I imagine Scorsese is going to Netflix or Apple TV because they've got the money and they're willing to fund such fund such uh, projects. And I just find it very interesting how, uh, in order, you know, I, I guess Scorsese. Despite comments that have been made in the past, and obviously, you know what Netflix and Apple TV stand for for other filmmakers like Christopher Nolan, uh, obviously has uh, disparaging remarks to make about them uh, and what they are currently doing to "quote unquote" the state of cinema. Um, Scorsese says he's doing what he has to do to make the movies that he wants to make. I don't consider that a bad thing. You know, do you guys? No,
1: I think something to take in. Into account with all this, though, is that Christopher Nolan movies, unlike many of Scorsese's latest projects, do make money. And that is the, I think, underlying element here is that I've seen a lot of hand wringing going on lately about how, oh, they just, the studios just need to give Scorsese what he wants because he's a genius and a master. And that's true, but. Like, Martin Scorsese's movies don't really have that great of a return on investment these days. And if you're going to spend $200 million on like a crime drama, I can understand from a studio perspective why you're kind of nervous about that.
4: Well, maybe they could cut some sort of a deal in regards to um – I don't know, residual sales uh, through like Blu-ray or something. I I don't know. And I only say that because everybody's buying up right now. (laughs) No, no. But I'm just saying in regards to Martin Scorsese films, because of his legendary status, tend to have a long shelf life past its theatrical run, at least, you know, there's got to be some sort of a deal that could be inked out there somewhere. I mean, I think the deal is to try to lower the
1: budget, unfortunately. I think that's probably what the studio wants, and Scorsese, being mm-hmm. who he is, doesn't want to compromise. And I understand that, but, you know, I can also probably guarantee that The Irishman did not make people money. With the amount of money that they spent on it, that was not a profitable film for anybody.
2: No, it was yeah. probably it was probably an investment by Netflix to uh, lure other prestige directors.
6: Oh
4: yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I definitely think that that was uh, the move on their part. I wouldn't be surprised if they team up with him again. If I'm being completely honest, I think they probably have a good working relationship after uh, the Irishman. If I do say so, and you know, it's still to this day, um, you know, Netflix has told me before that even though the movie did not win any Oscars, uh, they still were extremely happy with the whole process of working with Marty, the award season run, and they said that the movie did exactly what it what they what they wanted it to do in the end, which was garner this level of prestige and make, like you said, Josh, Netflix a destination for other filmmakers to come and make their movies and have their vision be, you know, executed on the screen. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you know, if they were if they were to come in and swoop this up. Um, it would be very interesting though. And I also find it interesting too that You guys get this feeling sometimes with Scorsese, with Silence, The Irishman, and now this, that it feels like every movie he's making might be the last of his career?
5: Yeah. I mean, he's at the point where you have to take that into consideration if you're a filmmaker. uh, Yeah. At his age, unfortunately. So, I mean, why not make every single one a kind of capstone masterpiece? He's one of the few directors who, like, is having an upswing. Not that he really had a downswing, but he's having a... Excellent end of career arc, whereas most directors like don't really have their best arcs in their later days. He is making movies as good as his stuff in the 70s and 80s, if not better.
4: Yeah, I just find it very interesting how Robert De Niro is the one that's responsible for getting Leonardo DiCaprio's start in Hollywood. They're both Mm -hmm. muse of Scorsese, and this is the first time that they're coming together underneath Uh, Scorsese, so it does feel like the same way how Irishman was like a culmination of so many guys' careers in that movie. This is another one again, (laughs) you know. So, uh, now the question though, uh, on my mind is will I be able to go see this at an AMC movie theater when it releases in 2021? This is another thing too, where I'm just like asking myself, What? What? Because Okay, there have been reports out there that AMC may have to file for bankruptcy due to the coronavirus and shutting down uh, the theaters for a long extended period of time. Is this to be believed? Like, is there anyone here that does not believe this to be like true? Like, like they can't fathom that this is actually happening. Um, and if and if not, if it is real, what do we think is going to end up happening?
3: I just want to state from the beginning that there is. A Grand Canyon-sized leap involved between filing for bankruptcy and 100% totally going out of business. So let's just take this bit by bit, because I think everyone is, like, you know, about to to worry for them. When this is just very, 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 very early, it's going to be a long, drawn-out process with many factors involved. I read that they're hiring uh, attorneys right now, so you know yes they probably will file i think that's pretty clear to anyone mm-hmm. but the future of what is going to happen with these theaters and everything going forward there's a lot a lot a lot that's going to happen. so i just want to get that all up front
4: so do we think that anyone's going to swoop in and buy out amc
2: well they have more theaters than any other chain i think
4: which is which to me is the weird part about all of this because then why aren't the smaller chains The ones that were reading reports about filing for bankruptcy. How can it be that the largest one is the one that is?
6: It's all because of all of us on A-list.
4: They're losing money. (laughs) You know what? You might not be wrong.
5: I do love my A-list, so it's a bummer. And they may have overexpanded.
4: Oh, I definitely think that that's true, too. Yeah.
5: Yeah, Yeah, if a lot of their... Because they purchased like 200 new theaters in 2016, which I think increased their theater ownership by like a quarter. So if a lot of that was kind of speculative then i mean right now unfortunately that is not paying out which is you know kind of silly because like that's you know how not how business is supposed to work it's not amc's fault but it's just like a bummer that one tiny thing like this can just disrupt you know an entire half decade of uh business operation
4: i definitely agree with michael that this does not mean like a death nail by any means but i definitely think it is an eyebrow razor um, and one that we should all be taking uh, very seriously. I don't know about you guys, but did any of you guys receive um, via email from uh, Criterion uh, about donating to uh, support local uh, movie theaters? Yes,
1: I've been seeing that going around. Yeah,
4: yeah, I, I received that. I, I I put in I put in a little something uh, towards it. Um, you know, it's something that I I, I take. You know, I I, I take the heart very much uh, the death of the American movie theater, even if it is um, a large chain like an AMC or a Regal, uh, whatever it is. I don't – I agree with Michael, though, in the sense that I I don't think it's actually going to happen. I do think there would be a buyout, new ownership, a rebranding maybe, um, de-escalation in terms of expansion, you know, I, I, something. Something's got to happen. They They – Because the the alternative just feels so surreal. I can't imagine it happening. Well, and we're
1: also talking about one specific chain. Like, yes, it is the largest chain nationally, but we're talking about this one. And this is also a very unique situation where there's going to be product to put in these theaters at some point. Like, the studios still have the intention of releasing these movies in theaters because that's the only way they can make money on them. So, like where AMC will be financially in a couple months that is still up in the air but i i think that they are trying to figure out ways to probably open the doors back up at some point and slowly get in some revenue maybe like from older movies like i i do have a hard time imagining that it will disappear completely but certainly they're not in great <laughs> in a great financial state right now
5: i also don't think they're going to be the only business even outside of movie operations, that you know has trouble because of all this. So I, I, I mm-hmm. don't think this is a singular event, and something will happen, whether it's yeah. federally or otherwise.
4: I also could see a scenario where a lot of the locations close down, but that, but the whole. Company doesn't close down permanently. Yeah. So we've seen in recent years, um, I don't even want to say recent years, this has been going on for many years actually, uh, price hikes in concession stands because that's how movie theaters uh, make their money. What other routes, as Josh was kind of alluding to uh, before, can we foresee theaters uh, trying to squeeze more money out of us? Because the A list was a way to get us to come to the theaters more frequently so that we would buy concessions more frequently. Um, that was the idea. Behind it, I'm just curious uh, if you guys have thought about ways that they might now – if they are a way to get – if they do find a way to get through this on the other side, there's going to be a change in their business model about how they make money to avoid a situation like this again. You have to believe it. So the question is what does that look like?
5: Well, I know a lot of theaters are kind of doing – on demand in some capacity. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of art house theaters are doing like smaller independent Mm -hmm. movies and like part of the profits gets kicked to the theaters. I know AMC has some sort of on demand thing. I don't really know how it works. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It is, but it's basically
6: like (laughs) voodoo or like any other online streaming service. Like, I even think it's okay. through one of the other ones. Like, okay, just
5: but if, it. Yeah. if they can see the writing on the wall, which is, like, people stream shit at home all the time, maybe it might be in their best interest to kind of become, like, a hybrid movie theater exhibition, but also at-home viewing platform. I don't know enough about money or business you know put a concrete spin on it but that's i think maybe the best possible route if they're really strapped for cash
4: i mean also too do you guys think that the uh recent behaviors of putting new movies on streaming for a 20 rental do you think there's a learn there that they might pick up on
5: i mean is that anybody renting anything for 20 i, I i'm sorry <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't really did.
1: sometimes always, but that was right. because yeah. I wanted to support that particular film. Sure. And I was but, like, if
5: somebody exactly.
4: told me if somebody told me when the Irishman came out that I needed to pay $20 to watch and this was the only way I would watch it. You bet your ass I'm watching sure.
5: it. <laughs> but I'm not like going to rent onward for $20 like no. I was. I waited for that to yeah. come Disney Plus. <laughs> right. Yeah, sure. Exactly.
4: There's only certain movies I think you can get away with doing that on. Yeah. They have to have like an enormous amount of hype behind them.
5: I you
3: know. think. All this going on, the 90-day window between theaters and streaming is dead. I think we saw the very end of that just go away suddenly, and now everything is going to not exactly be like Trolls World Tour from this past week, but there's going to be a much smaller window. So if a movie opens in, let's say, early August in the theater, by maybe mid-September, it could be on the AMC on-demand service. And then people are watching it from home for premium price, but it's still something they're able to access from the comfort of their home. And I have to be way forward if they're going to change the model. Everything's going to change somehow, some way. We just need to see where the theaters are going first. But the theaters we remembered before COVID, I don't think that's going to be a thing anymore. The system has changed dramatically. I just really hope the
5: precedent for anything in the world is not set by Trolls World Tour. <laughs> <laughs>
4: uh, yeah, amen. and also too michael you just reminded me uh to give a little shout out to people uh the best picture winner uh parasite winner of four academy awards uh is currently streaming on hulu for those that have not mm. watched it And if you can't stand subtitles, shut the fuck up and watch it anyway. All right. I've said my piece on that. (laughs) Moving on uh, to fan questions for this week. Guys, we might actually get out of here pretty quickly this week. My Lord. Uh, Let's take a look and see what we received here.
7: Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday, you can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father, after all. (laughs) Yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, You can listen to the In Session Film podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake! Listen to the In Session Film Podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's are not you... how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at midnight special again. Oh, okay, that's okay. what you're I will. good for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you gonna pummel me? Yeah, I, I don't, that's just I don't how buy this. That. That's just how <laughs> it works. This one comes
4: from that CM guy. 1988. After Brad Pitt finally won an Oscar from acting, uh, how much uh, what are the possibilities that we could see Tom Cruise or Bruce Willis or Keanu Reeves win an Oscar for acting in the next five years or decade? I don't know what the correlation necessarily is between those three guys and Brad Pitt, but I'm happy to answer uh, for either
3: one of those uh, gentlemen. Sort are of like your stars of the 90s. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Yeah. I think Keanu stands the best shot out of all three of them just because he seems to be the least controversial at the moment. Uh, someone like Tom Cruise, of course, had it going for him all through the 80s and 90s, but doesn't seem interested in doing the Oscar-y projects anymore. He'd like to do his action vehicles, and they're good, but, you know.
4: You know when Tom's going to do it? I think I've said this before on the show. Tom's going to do it when he's in, like, his 70s, if he's still, if he's still around. Um, because he won't be able to do the big action stunt movies necessarily anymore. He'll be, he'll be in the, uh, beyond Liam Neeson, uh, phase and, you know, he'll be older. And I think that's when we might see some sort of a prestige drama. Um, and hell, if it all, if the stars align properly, He could get another Oscar nomination or win again, potentially, maybe. All right, well, we'll have to check with his
3: e-meter about that.
4: (laughs) I mean, the thing going for Tom Cruise
1: is that he's still very likable in the industry, and he still makes a lot of money for the industry. And I really do think that he is just one legitimate prestige project away from probably getting something like that. There's not a huge appetite for him right now, but I think that that is a possibility.
6: Yeah, I don't think any of the guys mentioned are really particularly interested in winning an Oscar, um, I, and they don't really tend to go for these sort of prestige products. I mean, like, unless Wes Anderson writes a really amazing role for Bruce Willis one of these days, I, I don't see it happening.
5: I mean, yeah, I don't but think everybody, Bruce, Willis, Bruce is Willis is interested in acting yeah. at all. So. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> also,
4: too, I, I think the industry does not really like Bruce Willis, if I'm being completely honest. So there's that. that. Yeah. All right. uh, So apologies. Looks like uh, Tom O'Brien's internet connection uh, cut out. Uh, If he's able to rejoin us, uh, great. But if not, uh, he sends his best to everyone. Uh, Let's see here. Oh, man. I don't know if I want to answer this, but I do have an answer for this. Um, This one's from Matt underscore Somers underscore. Why do you think people hate on Brie Larson's win for Room? It is my personal favorite best actress win of the last decade. And it just confuses me. (laughs)
3: <laughs> do people
6: hate on it there are a few, yeah, I don't few know things right
4: there are a few things that play there i think let's 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 call a spade a spade here shall we uh people do not like how outspoken brie larson is about uh gender within the industry uh she they don't like what she uh stands for uh in regards to her role with uh captain marvel it is Honestly, a bunch of sexist assholes, in my yes. opinion. And that's what I was
3: getting at. People don't hate on the performance. They are trolls who hate on her for no good reason. And we don't give them the time of day.
4: Exactly. So I'm going to leave that at that. But I definitely wanted to answer your question regardless. Oh, Omesh Singh with a question that really excites me here. At Prime Earth, Mook asks, Name a film that represents your favorite color. Okay, so... This is a, This is great. <laughs> okay. Hmm. I'm thinking of color schemes now in my head. Uh, hmm. Okay, got mine. Uh, okay. Uh, so my favorite color is purple. And my answer uh, for this is going to be... I have two that come to mind. Um, one is Annihilation... Uh, partially because the marketing for that film utilized uh purple to a certain extent and also because um if I remember correctly there is a bit of um esque like lens flare like lighting in it that uh, also gives off like um I don't know there's like like the, the, the there is like I don't know why but that movie just makes me think of the color purple for some bizarre reason and it's ironic that I just said the color purple and I'm not mentioning the Steven Spielberg movie uh but then a more obvious answer is Grand Budapest hotel so there you go
5: So, my favorite color is green. And just last night, I rewatched Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And there's the amazing sequence where they're flying through the trees. Oh, my God. And the green in that doesn't look like any green I've seen in any other movie. It is so lush and vibrant and natural at the same time. So, that's going to be my answer. Mm. This is a difficult
1: question. Um, My favorite
6: color is orange. And I'm struggling to think of any movie that makes me think of orange
1: well I well, okay I, I think I would say this Um, I'm not necessarily saying that this is my favorite color but I do sort of like the yellowish golden tint that can that some things tend to mm. have and I think that one that would immediately jump to my mind is just thinking about like the yellow brick road in the Wizard of Oz
5: oh okay that movie was also on. Color. That could be your answer for any color. True, but yeah, true, you know, the, yeah.
1: The the yellow Road always is like the first thing
3: that jumps into my mind when I think about that movie. So my favorite color is blue, and the one that comes to mind first for me is actually related to a poster, and that's the poster for ET with them flying, you know, through the sky over the moon, and it's like a bluish tint. Well, that background. makes sense too in the context of the movie. Yeah, so you know, it's an iconic scene, and you know. I'm the, I didn't name Blue Velvet or the Three Colors Trilogy or anything like that. But, you know, the background of the EG poster is the first thing that I think of. I mean, you could.
4: Blue, <laughs> blue is uh, one of the most uh, used lights in all of uh, cinema. So it's like you can name pretty much almost every movie ever made, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, no, that's good. I like that.
6: I, I actually. OK, so I did think of something, <laughs> um, a orange, so fire. Um, oh, okay. The thing that I always think of when I think of fire in movies is the burning of Atlanta in Gone with the Wind.
4: Oh, damn it, I was thinking of Backdraft. Nah, I'm <laughs> kidding. <laughs> <laughs> A movie yes! <laughs> 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 uh, that's good. Uh, Sunshine is another one that comes to mind when I think of Orange. So
2: sure, mm-hmm.
4: yeah. Uh, Cody, did you go?
5: Yeah, baby, Green.
4: Yeah, that's right. J- uh, Josh, you said yours was... Uh, sort of like gold with, with a rose, but we, okay. Where's was it? Okay. So everyone went good. Awesome. All right. That was a fun exercise. That was good. Uh, this one comes from a flurry tale. How many years or Oscar noms do you think it'll take for Adam driver to finally get his Oscar next five, Mm -hmm. five years or five Oscar nominations? No,
3: no. Oh, within the next five years, I think I'll have one.
4: My theory is that Adam driver is following the trajectory of someone like uh, a Dustin Hoffman in the uh, 60s, 70s, culminating in like a Kramer versus Kramer win where he's going to keep delivering great performances. And I think that by nomination four or five or so, uh, he'll finally get his.
5: And in four or five years, he'll be in his 40s, which is, you know, when they finally yeah, date to award actors. Exactly.
4: True. Exactly.
5: It'll happen. It'll definitely happen. Yeah.
4: Uh, we got this, uh, we've been getting this from Ethan Eve May every week, and my lord, is this a lot of fun. Uh, take one out of the Oscar lineup and put another in. Cody, this is the first time that you're doing this with us, so this okay. is a lot of fun. Uh, he's given us two categories this week. I'll, I'll, I'll maybe throw in, you know, a couple others, uh, while we're, uh, debating these ones over here. Uh, but he gives us Best Actor in 2007 and Best Supporting Actor in 1994. So uh, Best Actor 2007. So that is Vico Mortensen for Eastern Promises, Tommy Lee Jones in the Valley of Allah, Johnny Depp, Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, George Clooney, Michael Clayton, and the Oscar winner Daniel Day-Lewis in There Will Be Blood. You have to remove one and replace one. Uh, so re- replace the one that you yeah you have to remove one and replace with someone else. <laughs>
1: so
3: Hi, Johnny, you remove. <laughs>
4: <laughs> You're gonna remove Johnny. Absolutely, my God. Oh yeah.
3: Yeah, I, I'm removing. I'm I'm removing Johnny as well. I'll just say it right now. I cannot stand that performance. I'm not a huge fan, but I'm leaving him in. I'm actually going to take out Vigo.
6: Oh. oh. Who are you replacing I'm, him?
3: I am replacing Vigo Mortensen with the late Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Savages.
5: Ooh, a double nomination that year. Mm. See, I think I would
1: probably remove Johnny Depp, even though I do like that performance, but I probably could lose him anyway. But I would also replace him with Philip Seymour Hoffman, but I would pick Before the Devil Knows You're Dead.
5: Another great film. So I would take out Johnny, um, and I probably would slot in Ryan Gosling in Lars and the Real Girl. Yeah, I think that's what I would do too. And he was probably sixth place for the actual nomination. yeah.
4: Yeah, I know that he's not popular around these parts anymore, but I probably would have thrown a bone at Emile Hirsch for Into the Wild. He is good in that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking of unpopular people, another thing I also would have
1: done was I would have removed Casey Affleck from the supporting actor lineup for Jesse James and put him in lead.
4: Totally. Well, yeah, there's that. (laughs) Totally.
5: Uh, Does anyone else agree that this is Vigo's best nomination of the three?
4: yes
3: uh I Ooh. man i do like that green book
6: it's really hard between this and captain fantastic
5: um i'm going with captain fantastic he's uh, my number five that year with a bullet my god i, I just like hate that movie. that
4: movie
1: i hate Thank that movie you, so much uh,
6: i mean it's easily the best movie of the bunch but as far as his performance goes i it's it's close
4: After Best Actor 2007, we now have Best Supporting Actor 1994. So for here, we have Gary Sinise for Forrest Gump, Paul Schofield for Quiz Show, Chaz uh, Palmentary for Bullets Over Broadway, Samuel L. Jackson for Pulp Fiction, and the Oscar winner Martin
3: Landau for Ed Wood. I have to remove one? (laughs) I am a huge, huge fan of this lineup, and it really pains me to take one of these people out. Yeah. But, uh... I really, I hate to do this. I have to say goodbye to Lieutenant Dan. Yeah, oh. I would do the same. And I hate doing it because I really love Gary Sinise in that movie. He would be my my number six. But there's another performance that year who I think was robbed of being in this lineup. And that was John Turturro in Quiz Show.
6: Oh, yeah. It's a good one. He's so good in that. Um, I would and Oh, OK, 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 I got it. So, because, and this is <laughs> this is prefaced by saying I'm choosing to believe that all three of them in uh, the Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert are leads. I'm not going to put any one of them in supporting.
4: Dan, I was oh. just looking them up. Was the same thing. Because <laughs> I was, you know what? I was just thinking to myself, Guy Pierce, baby.
6: Yeah, I was. So I'm doing that because. So I'm gonna take out Gary Sinise and put in one of the iconic performances of the 90s, Dennis Hopper and Speed.
4: (laughs) Yes. love it. I don't know who to remove. Um, I'm going to remove... Fuck. (laughs) Uh, All right. I'm going to remove Gary Sinise, I guess, as well. Uh, That hurts. That really, really hurts. We love Lieutenant Dan. I'm not okay with this. I'm putting in Gary Oldman for Leon the Professional.
3: No, <laughs> oh, like Tom Hanks waving to him.
6: <laughs> but that's not his performance. <laughs> like... Oh, Gary Sinise Leon is good though. All right, who else is left?
4: So Continue. I probably
5: Go. kick out Paul Kurt Scofield. Decent, like not, mm-hmm. You kick out Paul Field, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, if only because I can't remember his performance. I'm sorry. I've seen I'm in movie the same boat, only once, Cody. But, like, I don't remember anything about it. So, bye. Uh, so, I I think I might fill it out with another dude from Pulp Fiction, either Ving Rames or we were just talking about him. It could be Bruce Willis's Oscar nomination. Not super thrilled about either one, but I mean, that's the question. Yeah,
1: I mean, I also really like Harvey Keitel and Pulp Fiction oh, as well. Oh, yeah, 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 that might be it. But I think my answer truly is that I would also get rid of Schofield just because I can't remember. And I'd make history and I'd put in Jeremy Irons for the Lion King.
4: Nice. Oh, oh that's nice. That's fantastic. I love it. Look who's back. Look who's back! Oh, um, <laughs> Tom! Yay. Yes! Prodigal Sun yes. returns. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, 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 Tom. Uh, we were just going through the uh, replace an Oscar winner. Uh, we'll replace someone in Oscar lineup with someone else from that year that wasn't nominated. So we did Best Actor 2007. Um, a lot of us removed Johnny Depp for Sweeney Todd, put in various actors here and there. Okay. Uh, so now we're doing Best Supporting Actor 1994, which is incredibly difficult. Uh, you have Gary Sinise for Forrest Gump, Paul Schofield for Quiz Show, Chaz Palminteri for Bullets Over Broadway, Samuel L. Jackson for Pulp Fiction, and the Oscar winner Martin Landau for Ed Wood. Got to remove one Who are you
2: removing. A t- that's a tough lineup. I, I, w- I would join um, losing Schofield. I could see them going for Whitmore. Well, who would you go for? Oh, boy,
4: this is a personal preference question.
2: Boy, now that I now that now that I have uh, Jeremy Irons in my head, I can't get rid of it.
4: There you go. <laughs> there you go. Ah, that's a great inspired choice. I love it.
1: Although James Whitmore is also a good pick
2: for Shawshank. Mm. It's it's a it's a, a typical supporting actor, veteran, Oscar nominee
4: yeah okay so then uh let's move over now to uh these ones that i'm selecting uh, just to kind of round things out here we're gonna do best actress 1997 we have kate winslet for titanic judy dench mrs brown julie christie for afterglow helena bottom carner for the wings of the dove and the oscar winner helen hunt for as good as it gets
6: okay this is easy um sorry kate Really, I she's good, but like of that bunch, I think she's it's the least performance by a, by a decent margin, and it, at any rate, it's much worse than Julia Roberts in My Best Friend's
1: Wedding. Hmm. I mean, that's a really good pick. I have to admit, I yeah. haven't seen the Julie Christie performance, so I sort of want to say that one, but I also don't want to because I don't think that's fair. But regardless, I would replace somebody with um, Pam Greer and Jackie Brown.
4: Yeah, I was going to I was that was going to be my choice as well. And I was going to replace
3: Julie Christie. She should have won that year. I'm going to take out Julie Christie and I'm sort of split between Pam Greer and Julia Roberts. I like them both very much, but I think I'm going to go with Pam Greer. I'm also taking out Julie Christie. It's
5: a mediocre performance in a terrible movie. Don't watch it. It's horrible. It's it's
6: a weird movie. It's It's like,
5: who's afraid of a junior wolf junior? It's like really (laughs) stupid. Not a fan. Uh, And I'm replacing her with uh, uh, Jodie Foster in Contact.
6: Ooh, I was hoping (laughs) someone would say that. She has
5: enough nominations around this time period, obviously, but it's easily my favorite Robert Zemeckis movie. And she's fantastic in it. It's a good choice. All right, cool. Uh,
4: best Supporting Actress. We are looking at the year 2002.
3: Oh, my God. This is one of the best lineups ever.
4: Meryl Streep for Adaptation. Julianne Moore for The Hours. Queen Latifah for Chicago. Kathy Bates for About Schmidt. And Catherine, Catherine Zetter-Jones for Chicago. Uh, Michael, kill your darlings. Oh uh, my what do you guys got here?
3: My yeah. personal lineup is five for five with Oscar. I think they got it absolutely perfect that year. Oh, my goodness. This is just
4: we're going to come back to you. All right. I, I, I want I want you to uh, I want you to be tortured for a couple more minutes here. Uh, yeah. I it's not easy. <gasps>
6: oh, I, I think uh... I got it.
5: OK. Um, so like Michael said, this lineup is like practically perfect. Granted, I haven't seen Kathy Bates in the Boucher Schmidt, so I'm going to like uh just not count her because I don't want to eliminate somebody I haven't seen. It's Unfortunately, fine. my number four then is Queen Latifah, which is like a performance I love, but my God, this lineup. So I guess I would replace her with Emily Watson for Punch Drunk Love. Lead or supporting? I, I, I guess gonna be my next question, dude. I don't know. I haven't seen the movie in a little bit. I think it's so much Adam Sandler show that everybody else is supporting. But I mean, if I have to be wrong, category fraud about this, you know, about this year and I'm like incorrect. That's okay. Cause this lineup is so good. I don't want to change it.
4: I think that makes sense. Mm. Uh, I, I, I can. Yeah. I think that supporting makes sense there. Yeah. This is really tough. I think that if I
1: had to remove somebody, I probably maybe would just say Julianne Moore just because she's got another nomination. So she's kind of taken care of and it's not a total loss. Um, yeah, you
4: don't feel so bad. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, I really don't know who to replace her with though. Cause this lineup is really great. So I'm just going to be fun and I'm just going to say cherry Jones and signs. Yeah.
6: So I'm also going to be fun uh, as opposed to being serious and saying like put Samantha Morton and America in her proper category. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would take out Kathy Bates just to sort of like, as she's my number five um and lord help me um replace her with the great andrea martin in my big fat greek wedding
3: oh i'm no. so close to you dan This a perfect segue because i am <laughs> taking out kathy bates even though i love her and it's one of my favorite performances of hers i would not want to remove her from this lineup but i'm replacing her with laney kazan in my big fat greek wedding <laughs> <Okay>. perfect <laughs> yes. I, scru- I struggle between <laughs> her and Andrea Martin. And then I also <laughs> want to give a shout out to Tony Collette and Alison Janney in The Hours. Very different performances, all four of them. Yeah, but you Tony know. Collette's so good, Matt.
2: Yeah. I would, I would probably take out Kathy Bates. And I'm only doing this for fun, but a one or two scene wonder, I would put in Amy Adams for Catch Me If You Can. Ooh. So <laughs> I,
3: that is a really, really good one. I love her in that movie. So many small performances, like even Viola Davis in Far From Heaven, you know, knocks out of the park with like two minutes. Yeah. Mm. Tony Colette again in About a Boy, you know,
4: so many. I was I was thinking about that. I just didn't know if I really wanted to definitively say it,
3: but. I think she's actually better in the hours, but it's a bigger part in About a Boy. Mm hmm. But oh, so good. So, so, so good.
4: <sighs> it sucks because I know that. Um. Uh, Maribel uh, Verdú is uh, lead for um, *You Two Mama Tambien*, so yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. <sighs> Damn it. I I I I think I would go with Tony Clendon about a boy. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I also like.
6: Okay. <laughs> I, I have to say, I really wanted to put any one from eight women in there, but like, I, I can't pick. Mm. Because everyone in that movie is so good.
4: This is very difficult to the point where. Um, yeah, this is way too hard.
3: <laughs> yeah. You did the Sean Connery <laughs> your
5: category,
4: damn it. I, I know because I just was like, I'm, I'm picking any random year. I didn't realize that
3: when I picked it, I was like, oh, shit, I picked a really, really hard one. <laughs> <area>. <laughs> Remember when they announced the winner, Sean Connery opened the envelope and said Catherine and Kathy. Yeah, Benchart. yes. <laughs> <It's> Con- Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> He, like, shouted
4: it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. He's been a great Oscar
3: presenter. He goes, Titanic.
4: Let, let, yeah, Titanic. Uh, last one. <laughs> God. Now I need to pull up, like, every Sean Connery clip at the Oscars that I possibly can.
5: <laughs> um, he has a really great one where he's introducing just, like, a montage or something, and he goes, the movies. We love the movies. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one. Uh, Best Director 1999. M. Night Shyamalan for The Sixth Sense. Michael Mann for The Insider. Spike Jones being John Malkovich. Lassie Hallstrom for a
3: House Rules. And Sam Mendez for American Beauty. So I'm not this one of these cool kids who likes to so pick on Lassie Hallstrom.
2: So
3: I love Visita House Rules, but I'm actually dropping him. Love the movie, but, you know, I could do without him in that lineup. I'm adding Anthony Mangella for the talented Mr. Ripley. That's a really good choice. Um, Um,
6: uh, I I would also very easily
1: lose Lessa Hallstrom, but I'm,
6: I don't know who I replace him with.
1: I would replace him with the Wachowskis for the
4: matrix. Yes. I I was going to say
6: I, part of me is wants it to be them, um,
4: it's one of the most original influential movies like ever made.
2: True. That is true. So, i, I, they're I also probably, I'd probably lose Hallstrom and put in PTA for Magnolia.
6: Part of me wants to say the Wachowskis. Part of me wants to say Mangala. Part of me wants to say fuck it and say Takashi Mike for audition. Yes. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> God. That, <laughs> oh my God. That may not have been 99 officially How-ty. though. Like, in terms of Oscar um and then part of me just because it's fun wants to say john mctiernan for the thomas crown affair
4: part of me wants to say uh uh stanley kubrick dude that
3: was mine you took mine how about Uh, mike lee uh, yes for topsy-turvy
6: actually okay yeah that's going to be my actual i'm i'm gonna say mike lee for topsy-turvy yeah
4: It really upsets me that he made uh, these two movies back to back and didn't get a director nomination for either one. But I'll actually say Frank Darabont for The Green Mile. Uh,
5: uh, So I am one of the Uh. cool kids that Michael mentioned. I'm going to pick on the Cider House Rules and kick him out. Um, And yeah, I'm slotting in Kubrick. None of us said uh, Fincher for Fight Club. Because in all honesty, I think Fight Club is
4: overshadowed by his later work now at this point, you know, it's a cool movie still. Um, it's got some intriguing ideas in it and it's funny, but I, I think he's been much, much better in the years since he's made that movie.
2: And it, and it wasn't oh, a very I, popular I movie at the time. No.
1: Oh, I agree. But you know, that's a very popular answer on the internet. So it's also, I, yeah. I would mention it anyway. That's also, yeah, I mean,
6: very much a very directed movie.
4: <laughs> sure. Yeah. That's true. Absolutely. All righty. So that will pretty much do it here for uh, that. That was a lot of fun, guys. Uh, So thank you once again for participating in that. And Ethan May, thank you so much for sending in the uh, recommendations for that. I really, really enjoy doing these every single week, Um, as difficult as they are sometimes. (laughs) Uh, Let's call it it a day here, people. And uh, Michael, where can I
3: find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Josh? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Dan?
6: You can find me on Twitter
5: at Danth and Dan on film. Cody? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd at CodyMonster91. And Tom, thank you so much for uh, joining us back here on the show <laughs> so
4: that you could deliver your outro. Where can they find you on the internet?
2: Well, when my internet is working, you can find me at Thomas E. O'Brien on Twitter and you
4: can find me at Next
2: Best Picture. Thank you so
4: much everyone for listening to episode 189 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, Castbox and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback there and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you're going to get some exclusive podcast content from us, including our 2014 Retrospective Podcast Reviews. Like I mentioned before, we just did Selma. Uh, for the rest of this month, we have podcast reviews of the uh, Best Foreign Language Oscar-winning film, Ida, and Foxcatcher uh, to come. And we don't, we're not stopping there. We also have uh, Next Best Adaptation where we are doing book reviews of movies that are going to be hopefully in the best adapted screenplay race uh, later this year. We're also doing Next Best Series, which is kicking off uh, with our podcast review of Mrs. America, starring Kate Blanchett. That starts off uh, this week, actually. And, of course, other Emmy coverage to come. And, as always, our monthly editions of Next Best Theater, where we cover the world of theater arts. So... If you want all that podcast content, head on over to Patreon. $1 minimum a month will get you all that and more. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.